Welcome to Thinking Too Hard About Anime, an episode-by-episode discussion of a beloved animated series. It's a little bit of history, a little bit of analysis, and a lot of over-examining the Japanese cartoons we love so much. I am your co-host, Aaron J. Shelton, and with me, as always, is... Noah Carden. And we are continuing our deep dive almost through, past it, uh, into on the other end... <laughs> Uh, into Cowboy Bebop with session 21, Boogie Woogie Feng Shui. Uh, the synopsis for this episode, Jet gets a mysterious note from an old friend named Pao. Jet ends up teaming up with the daughter of Pao, Meifa, uh, and Meifa uses her knowledge of Feng Shui to uncover the Sunstone, which ultimately leads to them discovering what happened to Pao. It's it's a lot of now go here, now go here. Yes. Um so this episode was directed by Ikuro Sato and was written by Saruyuki Murai and Shinichiro Watanabe. So this is the second episode to actually have uh, Watanabe's uh, input on the writing. He has written one more episode. It's actually sort of a compilation episode that they used for when the show was moving networks. Um, called Mishmash Blues. So how much he was actually involved uh, there is a little kind of up in the air. But out of the core 26 episodes, this is the second of two episodes he actually did writing for. The title, obviously, uh, combines uh, Boogie Woogie, which is an actual genre of uh, blues music from the, the 1920s. And feng shui, which is a form of uh, East Asian, primarily China, uh, geomancy, which I guess we'll get into when we start talking about the episode, but uh, has a lot to do with perceived energy forces with a planet and and the people and and all sorts of really interesting and also very complex ideas. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to learn how to feng shui your home from this episode. No, you're not. Um, Man. But uh, and then I—I yeah. I mean, I had some—I had a, another little piece of, of trivia. I in the so in the Japanese language version, I thought I recognized the voice actor for Mefa, uh, so I dug into it. Okay, um, I was—I was wrong. I did not. It was not from a series that I had heard before. But the voice actor is Arisa Ogasawara, and. Their their claim to fame really is that over in Japan they are the dub actress for Lindsay Lohan uh, for like <laughs> the big big years from like Freaky mm. Friday all the way up to Mean Girls. Uh, did not do I know who killed me though. Um, so, so good for her. Yeah, the English voice actor for uh, Mefa is Patricia Jolly who was the Pink Ranger on Power Rangers Turbo and Power Rangers in Space and has been the voice and motion capture actress for Jill Valentine in Resident Evil for uh, a number of years. Oh, wow. And then we, I think up here at the top, I'll go ahead and say, as far as like trivia and references, uh, there are two goons chasing Jet and Mefa throughout the whole episode. And they are clear references to the Blues Brothers. Uh, And if you're a little bit younger, you might not know what that means. Uh, 
it's a sordid history. The Blues Brothers were uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi, uh, and they started out as SNL characters, mm-hmm. Jake and Elwood Blue in 1978. Like they introduced SNL one episode. Like they were the open instead of some political sketch. Mm-hmm. They just came out and played Soul Man. <laughs> um, everyone loved it because they made a whole movie of it in 1980. I feel like the Blues Brothers was the first Saturday Night Live sketch that becomes a movie. I want to say that is correct. Also, they're on a mission from God. Yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> it's yeah. It's a weird thing because they they put out an album and they just they just did a bunch of covers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that Jim Belushi's so frenetic on stage. Yeah, he's doing he's doing like cartwheels. And is is a big he's a big dude. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, he's doing cartwheels. Really, I mean, very good singer. Actually, I was surprised uh, looking back at some of the old stuff. But it's it's just weird that like this hot. Essentially, from my understanding, is that this was kind of their hobby. They just hung out, or they rented out a bar, or they were part owner of a bar, um, and they just hung out with the cast, and they would just play. And then someone jokingly called them the Blues Brothers, and like, hey. That's a sketch. Hmm. It's yeah, it's wild. But but that's who the goons are. And then um, uh Jet just straight up murders one of them in the street and the kids are like sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> like when we say murder, we mean he snaps their neck. Yes. In, in front of in front of Mefa. In front of Mefa, and then two little boys come up and are like, sweet, get his glasses. In mine, <laughs> they might have said something about the wallet, at least. Um, I definitely I definitely know. He's like, look at these stupid glasses. Yeah. <laughs> God. Like that's up that's like one of the things I noticed this watch. Um was just, yeah, like just the, the casual nature in which Jet just murders a man in the street and then the local like street urchins are like dope let's rob him and that's this is not a serious episode i i think it's a little sentimental yeah so it's very out of the blue they're they're syndicate goons but it's mm-hmm. yeah it's it's like all right not a not a punch knockout yeah man but yeah over, overall thoughts on the episode uh it's fine <laughs> Like, I, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. It's just sort of a a sentimental kind of episode. Um, compared to some of the other Jet-centric episodes, this doesn't really seem to build his character that much. Um, I, it just really feels like, oh, we need something to fill out an episode to get to our, our 26 for the most part. And there's definitely, like, some really neat stuff that happens in the episode, but... It, it doesn't really attach to anything. It doesn't really feel like Jet grows in any particularly strong way. So, yeah, it's just sort of a a nice little a nice little one off story. We get to learn a little bit um, about apparently like feng shui is a thing that actually works in the Cowboy Bebop uh, universe. So, yeah, can tell uh, you how to run away mm-hmm. from the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Yes. Um, it, yeah, I agree with you. It's it's fine. It might be the weakest episode. 
in the series. I'm having trouble thinking of another one that we were kind of this lukewarm on, and I don't think it's there. Waltz for Venus? Waltz for Venus, yeah. I feel like I think you're right. That's probably like the only other one that really kind of comes close. Waltz for Venus, maybe Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm, Chess Master yeah. Hex is yeah. It, yeah, it's in this territory. I'm, but now that we're talking about it, I'm curious if part of it is because of our uh, lack of familiarity with Feng Shui. So in in Wild Horses, you know, we that's also kind of if you're not as familiar with like NASA, mm-hmm. I think that can be sort of the big reveal at the end. And the big rescue might seem not as impressive, right, right? In the space show, so I'm curious if our like if us not really understanding feng shui makes this not as relatable or doesn't hit us the same. Yeah, I that's a uh, I don't know because I mean even even if you take out the feng shui part of it, it's at its core it's just Jet meets this girl who is his friend's daughter and then they go looking for him and it could have very it could have just as easily have been oh he left them like clues like notes or something along those lines like i don't know if the feng shui part of it really adds that much like it could have just been like some riddles that that allowed them to to find pal i i don't know no, I, I I think that's a fair assessment to make from the from the core. It is very much a well, we have to go here. Well, now we have to go here. Yeah, and it and it's weird to think about when at the very end they open up a wormhole. Yeah, and we're kind of like, eh. How how often do wormholes appear in hyperspace in in Cowboy Bebop? Never. Like- we it is it is cool. I will say on the second watch, I realized that. Or I thought that it was pretty cool that we have these elements that were introduced in earlier episodes, like the, mm-hmm. the space gate being destroyed um, and sort of time being real wobbly, depending on what items that infected that coming into play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's seeing all that stuff um, kind of come back around, seeing how this one event has affected a lot of different things. Like, just... <laughs> Could they have used that sunstone to to shoot that kid? Probably to to shoot Gren. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not Gren. Not uh, Gren. Um. Oh, what's his name? Who's that murderous child? When? That's why we when, got confused. Is, was it, is it when? Yeah. It is yeah, when. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. probably just chuck it at him real hard. Yeah. Yeah. He still think it's really old. Oof. Yeah. Overall, this is. a fine episode i don't think i'm not one for like hey skip this episode you could (laughs) yeah when when we were coming up on this episode i was trying to remember anything really about it and like i remember like the core events that happened and everything but it's just it yeah it's never really struck out to me whenever i think of like oh what are like must watch episodes of cowboy bebop or episodes i can always come back to this one doesn't really rank on the list. Um, yeah, I think the most striking thing is the image of Mefa and her fung the 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 compass that she uses. Yes, her, and her again, Luopan. 
Yeah, and and again, part of that is just having a not being familiar with feng shui. Yeah, and so it's it's uh, to a westerner, it's like, well, that's not something I see every day. Yeah, let's, this let's episode feels like, oh, we've got some some money in the CG budget. Let's let's make this wacky like <laughs> little pond gyroscope thing uh, in CG and just put that into like every third shot that we can. <laughs> oh. I mean, do we want to get into feng shui and oh. see what we can parse out? Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll yeah, I'll start and feel free to okay. yeah, jump yeah, yeah. in and correct me or add. Uh, again, feng shui, it's not like there's a big book of feng shui. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's differing sources. Um, so this is just very general knowledge. And I think... Just modern, the modern adaptation of pseudoscience and sort of the the bougie adaptation of it, right? Right, yeah. I, I think that makes it very difficult to get to the root of things online. Like, YouTube is just a bunch of people saying, here are the 10 things you could do to your home mm-hmm. for, for better feng shui, which I've, which I've done some stuff re- this week. I've, I've made some changes mm-hmm. because of it. Just I'm like, eh, why not? I'm... Uh, yeah. Anyway, so so what I'm saying is the biggest grain of salt. This is this is the basics of the basics. So uh, as Noah said, feng shui is mainly Chinese uh, geomancy. It literally translates to wind, water, and focuses on using energy forces to harmonize individuals with the environment they are in. Um, historically, it was used mainly in architecture. And it was made for, for deciding the orientation of buildings. Uh, if there were sacred sites like shrines or grave sites, uh, geomancy would be used to determine like the best spots, the best position for it to face to, to align with certain energies. Feng Shui categorizes the universe into five basic elements, fire, earth, wood, water, and metal. Each of these elements attracts either positive or negative energy. Um, but don't, but not to think, but these aren't like literal things. I think there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of like allegory and representation in it as well, I believe, yeah. from, my, from my understanding. But I think the big idea of feng shui is just that it's, you are creating an equilibrium of energies. You're, you're creating ways for energy to flow. Um, of course, you know, again, in modern thinking, we want it to be as positive as possible with these energies. Um, but it's just, I think what ties into a lot of other Eastern religions and philosophies is the idea of balance. Mm-hmm. And that also applies in feng shui. Um, I, like, as, as a general overview, that's what I've got. I don't know if you have anything else that you discovered. Yeah, I mean, it, it deals a lot with, um, like, chi, uh, the, the yin-yang, and the, the bagua are big symbols within feng shui uh the bagua being the eight trigrams which are those sets of lines and in dashes that are arranged around each other in different varying formations um but yeah like they, they have a lot to do like like exactly what you said um sort of the polarity and the energy that you put in and receive that kind of stuff the four symbols that we see referenced in the episode the dragon bird tiger and turtle are 
a frequent symbol. It's actually the, the, the four symbols or what they're called. And they appear on a lot of um, outside, even outside of feng shui, they appear in uh, a lot of mythological concepts in, in China and um, East Asian countries that are largely influenced by China. Um, so they're the azure dragon, the vermilion bird, the white tiger, and the black tortoise. Um, the black tortoise might also be called the black warrior because it's not typically just a a turtle or tortoise. It's a tortoise and a snake like entwined with each other. Um, Would, yeah, they. I mean, which they have in the episode. Yes, yes, exactly. They call it the the turtle and snake. I think, uh, and like each one of those uh, represents one of the cardinal directions, and then those also apply to like a season, and then a color, and then an element. Um, there's actually a fifth creature, the yellow dragon or the Keelin. Um, a Keelin is sort of like, it's like if you mixed a horse with a Chinese style dragon. Um, oh no, long horse. <laughs> uh, it's shorter. It's like a horse okay. with like a dragon's head and they have like antlers. Um, this is just something I know off the top of my head, but it's largely believed that the Keelan is influenced by people seeing giraffes. Huh. So basically, if you take a giraffe and just kind of shorten it necks, shorten its neck, it looks kind of like a Keelan. So that's what they largely believe, like the cultural sort of osmosis influenced uh, what it looks like. But um, that is the central direction. So you have your four cardinal directions and then the center. Um and like I said, each one of those uh, applies or corresponds with direction, season, colors, uh, elements, that kind of thing. And, and then, then there's, yeah, the, the Lupin. Yes. Or... So there's the, the Lupin, which is a kind of compass that in the center of it is a, a compass that actually points towards the south magnetic pole, as opposed to what you typically think of a compass, which points towards magnetic north. Um the and then that is surrounded by a couple dozen uh rings that all have their own particular meanings um they all have like uh they sort of help you formulate with feng shui um so they give you like your directions i know that there are they can have up to 40 yeah concentric rings on the surface which is good night that's yeah this this is again. This is very complicated stuff that we are barely scratching the surface of. Yeah, it's it's super complicated. It's super. It's very much a cultural thing. So we, being not uh, Chinese, don't really have as good of a grasp on it. I think as a a native Chinese person might. It's. I mean, it's really really fascinating, and I think it's interesting how the concepts have kind of been co-opted into the West. Mm -hmm. uh, with just like, here's how to make your life suddenly better. It's like, no, that's not, it's not how that works. Yeah. There's, it seems like it's a lot of interior designers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I went through YouTube just, just a smidge to try and see what I could glean. Uh, and some things that I'm now doing, whether they're correct or not with, with the ideas of feng shui. Uh, I think one of them talked about how, your front door should not directly face a back door or another door. 
And if it, and because that's letting energy just whoop, go out your house. Mm. Um, so you're supposed to put like a plant or some furniture to block its path. Okay. And then it's like, oh, you need to have your windows, your shades drawn when you during the day. And I'm like, well, that's just, yeah, you need sunlight to pump that vitamin D mm-hmm. to fight seasonal depression. That, <laughs> yeah, that's just like, okay, that made, that's, that's just, that all tracks. Be, yeah. Um, and then the big thing was to keep the bathroom door closed and to keep your toilet lid down always, um, which I have become out of, I keep my bathroom door open constantly. And they're like, no, this is a, this is where like energy goes to die. Cause this is where the poop is. <laughs> so you need to shut, you need to close that room off from every other room by shutting the door. I'm like, all right, I get it. But at the same time, if you live with somebody like, I just feel like having the door closed immediately creates like a, Oh, is somebody in there kind of, kind of energy. Oh, uh, I agree. And I'm one, I'm having been in apartments that, Oh, look, black mold. Cool. 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 Mm-hmm. I, am, I am definitely afraid of the bathroom getting too fogged up. Yes. Um, so it's like, I will, I will wait until it's nice and not steamy. <laughs> then I will shut the door again. Who knows? Yeah. What, what if any of this correlates? Because again, it's mainly about well, what direction should this building be? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's it's why it's it, it would be cool to learn more about, but I think it I think it's very difficult now, at least with like modern research technique without without actually talking to a person mm-hmm. to learn about it that isn't just. It, you know, influenced to heck and back by the West. Yeah. I first learned about Feng Shui or heard of the concept from this episode, I think. But then that also got reinforced by the game Animal Crossing. <laughs> Go on. So in Animal Crossing, especially in the earlier games, um, when you were decorating your house, uh, there's actually like a Feng Shui chart that you can reference to determine where you should put things in your rooms so that you have better luck in game. There's actual an actual like secret luck stat air quotes in the game that if you put items in your house based on like their color, they would um, cause you to find like more bells, which is money in the game or like find newer items or better items and things like that. Um, that isn't a thing in the latest version of Animal Crossing. Uh, you just get better, like, happy home points, which, I mean, that's whatever. Um, <laughs> it's not money. Who cares? Yeah, it's not money. Yeah, it's exactly. But they're straight up like, oh, you have to put red items on the right-hand side of your house. You have to put uh, yellow items on the left-hand side, green items at the front, um, and then where, like, certain corners meet you can have like yellow green or green red items it doesn't really seem to line up with the actual feng shui charts because mm-hmm. like east should be green but um south is green in animal crossing but yeah there are straight up charts on like the wiki and stuff for it to help you figure out where you should put certain items it's it's just one of those things that's like oh yeah like you put 
you move all this stuff around in, in Animal Crossing. Like that's that's how I kind of like learned about feng shui to a little degree. <laughs> I don't want to keep harping on it, but it, it's it's very it's interesting the the cultural differences and mm-hmm. I'm sure there are things that we do here in the states that are you know that are just cultural things that would seem strange to the east. Not that feng oh, shui yeah. is like not that I'm saying feng shui is strange, but it's like it's I think this episode made me realize how ingrained how it's more ingrained than I thought it was. Yes, it's very much a cultural concept in a way that I don't think you really see quite as much in the West or not in a way that we would probably recognize. But yeah, it's it's I mean, it's utterly fascinating. And uh, I just have to say there's a, a freaking like equation on the, the Animal Crossing wiki about <laughs> maximum feng shui points and it's making me lose my mind. From what I, I, I could find out about a, a low pan, um, they're, they're flat. They're like these flat devices. But the one that they use in the show, like I said, has this kind of gyroscopic thing. And that's obviously because it's like a a space low pan. So you have to deal with more yeah. than just being on a planet. If you go out into space, how are you going to figure out like the galactic like directions and stuff like that? I think that's a super neat concept. That didn't even occur to me is that that would be the, the reasoning for it. Yeah. Yeah. Feng Shui had to have gotten <laughs> even did, more complex. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's add a third dimension here. Gotta yeah. turn this stuff towards Jupiter. <laughs> this gravesite's all wrong. It should be pointing up. <laughs> Body's gotta lay vertical. Oh, jeez. So they in the episode, they talk about the sunstone. And mm-hmm. in context of the show, it is a piece of the moon after it done got blown up. After the gate accident of 2020? Yeah, it was 50 years ago. So 2021? 2020, okay. So yeah, 2021 next year. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a piece of the moon that's been irradiated with hyperspace energies. Um, But in real life, I I found two instances of the sunstone. There There is the geological one, and then there's like a sort of fun Icelandic one that... So which which on it, which the second one does attach. I don't know if it's direct influence, but it does attach to it. So an actual sunstone is a translucent or transparent feldspar uh, that produces a bright metallic flash when light interacts with it. Um, and this is because within this this stone, uh, there are tiny plate like mineral inclusions within it. Um, these inclusions have a common orientation, so they're all you know flat or facing one way. Uh, so when the light enters into it, it reflects at like a certain angle. Uh, and this optical phenomenon is called an adventure sense. A v e n t u r e s c e n c e. Adventure sense. Ace Ventura sense. <laughs> Smoke it. <laughs> May, I mean, your eyes might be if you if you look into that flash too long. Um, but aside from that, there's a like I said, a, a medieval source 
probably originating in Iceland. A lot of this is theoretical. There's some evidence for it. But it's the idea that there was a certain mineral in Iceland that they referred to as a sunstone that was used as a means of navigation using the sun. Um, what you And what they're referencing is what they call Iceland spar. Uh, it is a transparent variety of calcite. Uh, it, it just looks like a big old hunk of glass. Huh. And, and what you can do with it is if it is an overcast or snowy day, holding it up to the sky, you are able to find the, the placement and direction of the sun. So this might have been used to aid navigation in the open seas during the Viking period. Now, let's see, what else do you have? So in 2011, there was some research done, and it claimed that you can identify the direction of the sun to within a few degrees in both cloudy and twilight conditions using Iceland spar and the naked eye. Uh, they also recovered a piece of Iceland spar from an Elizabethan ship that sank near Alderney, in 1592 and this is part of why they think it's a possibility that these were navigational tools e even past the invention of the magnetic compass hmm they're saying that this could also have been used as a to work as a sundial especially in high latitudes with extended hours of twilight in mountainous areas or in partly overcast conditions and then finally, a Hungarian team proposed that a sun compass artifact with crystals might also have allowed Vikings to guide their boats at night. Uh, a type of crystal they call sunstone can use scattered sunlight from below the horizon as a guide. If so, Vikings could have used them in the northern latitudes where it never becomes completely dark in summer. And they could have also done this in areas of confused magnetic deviation. So again, the more north you are, the, the the less reliable the compass mm -hmm. can be. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, that little chunk of me, you know, medieval history was really what struck me because in the show they find the sunstone and they use it to uh, find the sunstone that Pow has. So as a, as a mm -hmm. again, like they put it in the bridge of the ship, the, the, the compass. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I thought, okay, there's, I don't know if it's a direct influence, but it's interesting that there is this possible correlation as a, as a different sort of sunstone being used for navigation. That's actually wow. That's that also seems rad. I'm <laughs> yeah. That's it's just that's just super cool. Like I love the idea of you use the super clear crystal to to navigate. That's so neat. I know that's some Superman stuff. Yeah, your father talks to you. There's a couple shots where you see it from overhead where you see like the helicopter like landing pads and stuff like that. I guess they would just be spaceship landing pads at this point. Uh, but they have like the big old numbers on them. Uh, and that reminded me, do you know what those numbers on like runways and, and landing pads are for? Are they not just identifiers? They are, but what they identify is the actual... Um, direction of the runway so if you see like a big old runway and it has like a 22 on it that is actually the heading of a, a compass so 360 degrees in deca degrees so it's 22 would be the 220th degree oh. on a compass so now whenever you fly in the future when 
things aren't awful. Um, you can recognize, oh, hey, this is the heading we're coming in on for this landing. Coming in on at a 22-degree landing. I just thought that was that was something I learned a little while ago and just reminded when watching the episode. So just a neat little, neat little fact for you. Man, I have talked more about Coppices than I ever <laughs> in since ever. Like probably mm-hmm. more than even in Boy Scouts. Yeah. Gotta get that I, orienteering merit badge. Yeah. I yeah, I did have that one. It was fun. I yeah. I'm glad I can read a map. I'll yes. say that. Very much so. So this time around, I watched both versions, both both of the English dub and the original Japanese. Okay. And I got to say, the dub usually does a very good job, but they kind of squashed some, uh, I guess, gags a little bit. Okay. I mean, we throughout the episode, there's this whole running gag of like, oh, Jet's with a, with a young girl. What's this all about? And, and Faye and Spike are very nosy about it. Mm-hmm. When Mayfa is first brought on the ship, Faye and Spike are talking about who the new person is, and they have this exchange, in mine at least, that goes, Faye asks, well, maybe it's a girlfriend, and Spike says, no, too young. And then Ed does, like, a weird seal walk and rhymes a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Faye says, okay, well, maybe it's a love child, and Spike goes, no, too old. And so when when Ed comes in with with the... With those little chocolate chickens mm-hmm. callback. Yes, um, I, I did like that. The little was the Corapicos or whatever they're called. I'm like, though, there's no way those things lasted. <laughs> those got eight the first day. You can't fool. No, them. they pick some up with the uh the VHS player. <laughs> I, I okay. Yeah, 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 I see that. <laughs> um so when Ed goes in the room, she straight up asks Mayfa, Oh, are you the girlfriend or the love child? And I believe in the English dub, it's it's just they just say lover twice. Uh, yeah, I think she just asks, "Are you are you Jet's girlfriend?" Which uh, I do like that Jet doesn't get mad at Ed. He just immediately knows that it's Spike and Faye, and like looks over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was pretty good. Yeah, it doesn't know. Yeah, it's just weird that they wouldn't. Why can't you say like love child? Why did what did why did the English version have to say like girlfriend twice? That is, yeah, that is strange, huh? But I think where they really, where they really messed up dramatically, is in the towards the end. We learn about the fate of Pow. He's in a wormhole. He's running out of oxygen. Basically, they find him with enough time to just say goodbye. In the latter half of the episode, Mefa is upset that her father sent the note to Jet, not to her. You know, she she constantly references that she doesn't have a very good relationship with her father. Um, in the English version, um, she's like, oh, I hated you all this time, but now I, but quote, but now I don't. And that's when the feed cuts out and Pow is lost, which is, it's a tender moment. She cries, tears float in space, which is a very good shot, by the way. Yes. They, they have the, as the tears go by the background, there's like the bubble distortion. It's very good. Yes. Um, in my version, which I think is the better play. She says, oh, I hated you for all this time, but, and that's all she says, Pal looks up, and that's when the feed gets cut off. So there's a lot more subtlety to mm-hmm. that interaction in mine, which I'm, I'm honestly, I'm like, I'm mad that they had to spell it out that much. Like, it's, it's totally implied. We understand yeah. what's happening. I feel like nowadays, 
we would probably get something a little bit closer to that. And I think the reason why is just because anime fans are a little bit more aware of how like writing and stuff like that happens in, in anime, how, how characters interact with one each other. So I feel like they wouldn't have to spell it out quite as much. I feel like when Cowboy Bebop was produced for the West, like when they were doing the dub and everything like that, anime wasn't quite as big as it is now. It was always, it was definitely growing. It was kind of in like the boom of anime in the West. But uh, I feel like the production probably just kind of had to do that to make sure that people totally got it. Um, which I do agree. It, it kind of sucks that they, that's what they had to do, but I don't know if it would have gone over quite as well as it would have today. The Cowboy Bebop dub definitely feels like a turning point mm-hmm. where I think earlier it was, let's match the lips as best we can, even if mm-hmm. it seems janky uh, and let's get rid of all references to the East. Yeah. Um, where, Cowboy Bebop seem like, again, to me, it seems like a a turning point in the other direction where it's trying to be as precise to the source material as it can be. Still, again, still westernized in some of it. But like you said, now we have more of an awareness of Japan culturally than we have ever before here Mm -hmm. in the West. So it's a lot easier to let those things we don't have to say things are jelly donuts yes anymore eat your hamburger apollo <laughs> it's, that's hamburg steak baby <laughs> the dub is still very good but i'm glad i got to go back through and listen and watch the episode in the original japanese i'm becoming lately i'm becoming a sort of sub snob and i don't want to be that because you can enjoy your media however you want People mm-hmm. still worked hard to, you know, write the dubs and to yes. act and, and the voice actors, directors, all of it. Um, but I'm becoming more and more comfortable with sub in anime. I think just for me personally, it just kind of depends on how I first came across it. Um, kind of determines if like the show is going to be a dub or sub series to me forever. So like Cowboy Bebop is. It's definitely like a, a dub series, like aside from just the overall quality of it, it's just a series that that's how I first experienced it. That's just kind of how it's always going to be in my brain. Um, I really should go back and watch it subbed. But then, you know, there's there's other shows like I think like Gurren Lagann is going to be a a subtitled show because I watched it like when it was first coming out before the current era of of like almost immediately dubbing a release. So it would be like a couple years before we would get a Gurren Lagann dub. So I just subtitle is, is going to be the way that it is. You yeah, youngins <laughs> will never know the frustration of wanting to buy a VHS dubbed of an anime for $30 <laughs> getting home and realizing it's subbed and being mad because it doesn't match the other tapes you have. <laughs> that, is, that is the that is a problem of a certain age yeah definitely i mean i think like we said like eh, you know there's not much there's not too much to deep deep dive into it there there's of course noir influences with a mystery 
with Jet's narration yeah. throughout. You say like a noir mystery, but I also get like a little like John Hughes <laughs> in it or or a little um Christmas story at the end, especially, where where Jet is just talking about, oh, this is where Mefa went off to. This is what we learned kind of deal. It's kind of expected, like, don't you forget about me to play at the end of the episode. Or <laughs> Sincerely, Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> Ed gets so a makeover is... to look like a normal girl. <laughs> oh, no. The, wor- the worst plot line in that movie. God. Ugh. So, I want to talk about, real quick, how stinky do you think the Bebop is? G- continue. So, there's a very clear scene in this episode where Jet is like, if you want to smoke, smoke outside. And then I realize, yeah, they just went straight smoking all the time in this spaceship. It's gotta smell fucking awful. <laughs> like, it depends on the ventil. It depends on the ventilation. I, mm, I, I, but so I, I'm not sure how much airflow there are on our modern ships, or if you're just stuck with the stank. I feel like the closest thing I can imagine is like being on a plane. Where it's just all like recycled air. And I feel like, you know, if you're out in space having to smoke, it's gotta, it's gotta just get, get fight. It's gotta get like cycled into, I guess probably get cycled into the filtration system and probably wean out some of it. But still, like, that couch has gotta stink. <laughs> it's probably and definitely a, a nose blind situation. Mm, um, yeah. Again, as a, as a former smoker, you do just kind of get used to it. And it's not until you stop for a while or maybe mm-hmm. you go to a friend's place or you're around another person who smokes. It's like, wow, your clothes stink. Well, yeah, because they're chock full of that smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it can't be. They they need to some Febreze in there. You're right. Yeah. It's, it's horrid. That couch used to be white when I got it. <laughs> just all cigarette smoke stain now. The, oh yeah there's there's you know there, there's burns all over it there's the amount, of, yeah. the amount of times we get like dramatic ashes falling off the the end of a cigarette it's, it's just all over that spaceship yeah who's sweeping no one yeah and then it floats around sometimes yeah gets into the instruments that's that's a hazard yeah no jet you should have kept that rule <laughs> when you're in i mean clearly when you're in space you can't go outside the smoke no, oh, they have to smoke in the in the bathroom or something like oh, in the kitchen, I think. Yeah, that's well, that's a that's a fun smoker trick. If you're renting mm. is you go in the bathroom or under or if your stove has a hood, mm-hmm. um, then you turn on that fan, baby, mm-hmm. and have at it. If it's too cold to go outside, smoke or if it's too space. <laughs> uh, you know, if, there's not enough atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's, you know, close to absolute zero outside, you definitely want to smoke in the kitchen. We do get that fun, again, very memeable shot of uh, Spike and Faye having mm-hmm. to smoke on the um, outside. Yes. Uh, <sighs> I, I don't care who you are. If you're a former smoker, and there, there are little triggers for mm-hmm. you. They're like, man, I could really use a cigarette. And, you know, you, you, you do get to a point. Anyone who's trying to quit, you do get to a point where it's, it's less and less bad. 
But this show definitely is is like, oh man, it would be cool. It's yeah. super cool to have a cigarette right now. It's just uh so cool looking. <laughs> <laughs> but please don't. I can't I no, I can't have you become a smoker because of me in this show. <laughs> please, no. But yeah, fine fine episode. Yeah, it's a fine episode. Um, would you like to hear the uh, the pitch? Yes, I would. So, episode 10, Boogie Woogie Feng Shui. Uh, a story about a universal feng shui master. So, right there, we already get a, a universe feng shui. Not just a regular feng shui, universe feng shui. A chance encounter leads Jet to accept a request from the girl, May, to search for the legendary feng shui master, Jika Paka. Uh, but it turns out to be Pao, May's father, who was supposedly dead. So yeah, it's that's pretty spot on, right there. Yeah, without I mean, without the mystery of that, you know what? I I kind of wish it was that more. Mm. Almost if it's like, hey, it, it would have gone more into the some of the movies we're going to talk about. But like, if it's just straight up, a young girl comes up to the bebop and say, "I want to hire you for a job," and Spike mm. and Faye are like, "No thanks, that's not enough money." And Jet's like, oh, no, my dad instincts are kicking in. I have to take oh, this no. job. Must protect. Um, yeah. and, th- and then, like, then that reveal. Mm-hmm. Man, I really would have liked that reveal of, like, haha, it's my dad. Gotcha. Gotcha. I just didn't yeah, want to tell yeah, you. Yeah, no, I do think, I think that probably would have worked a little bit better. I do, I wonder if they changed it just because um, there's kind of a, if they had done that, there's kind of a similarity with jamming with Edward where... Ed puts the bounty mm. out on herself kind of deal. You're right. Um, they have to save it. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think that would have been a, a good choice, though. Yeah. Make the, the her father thing be sort of a surprise at the end. Yeah. Because Cowboy Bebop usually has some nice twists and turns. Mm-hmm. To, again, coinciding with noir storytelling. And I think the only twists we got were just... Again, it's weird to say that, like, the only one we got was that someone was stuck in a wormhole and we had to blow up a rock to to get to them. Yeah, that's a little. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's all. I think because it was out of left field. I think that's mm-hmm. what's throwing me off about the whole wormhole thing is that it's they do set it up, but it still feels very. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Something that it, it doesn't land. So for movie recommendations, I'm going to go ahead and say I had a lot of trouble with it. It's not as precise as some of the other episodes we've done, um, because I usually like to find something that's not as well known. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for this episode, all I could think about was sort of the trope of a young girl hiring an old bastard to do a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had we had talked about this a little bit on Twitter. Uh, I think TV tropes calls it the the badass and child duo, right? Trope. Yeah, uh, you know, a very lone wolf and cub kind yes. of situation. I think though this is one one more level down because it's like there's a father daughter dynamic, but there's also like weird. Ugh, I don't want to say sexual tension, but there there's romantic tension. Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah, I think I think in the context of this episode in particular, there's a 
a perceived romantic tension that I don't think there actually is between Mepha and and Jet, but Jet is very worried about being he's very worried about being a creepy old man. Mm-hmm. I think. No, but I think you're right. I think it's it's a perceived tension. <laughs> it's Spike and Faye gossiping yeah. in the in the kitchen. <laughs> but there's like, you know, you, it's all over the place. Uh, the professional has it. Uh, more recently, Logan, uh, Sin City in the in the Yellow Bastard segment. There's a bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Last of Us plays that up real hard. It's yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, sort of an adopted father figure helping a young girl do a thing. Um, and out of all of those, some of those are like, what once with new information are super gross. Uh, some are just, I think, too recent. And especially for our listenership, you've probably, y'all probably seen Logan, right? Mm-hmm. If you haven't, you that. should. It's yeah, a, like. <laughs> it's a good movie. Just watch, I mean, the trailer alone. Yeah. Rules so hard. Um but well, let's let's talk about True Grit, and I'm talking about the remake from 2010. I mean, it's 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 a big budget movie. There's not yeah. a ton of backstory to it. But it's but if you don't know, it's written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It stars Haley Steinfeld um, of Bumblebee fame. <laughs> I think this was her first like big film. I yeah, I believe it was uh, Jeff Bridges of the Dude fame. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Damon of just being Matt Damon, <laughs> <laughs> just just being Matt Damon, yeah, and, and, and Josh Brolin, you know that Thanos guy. <laughs> it, it's instead of being based on the 1969 John Wayne movie, they they go back to the original source material, the novel by Charles Portis. Um, the plot centers around 14 year old farm girl named Maddie Ross, uh, who hires Jeff Bridges, uh, who's just a he's just drunk. Real crappy, loves to kill people. Rooster Cogburn. Mm-hmm. Hires him to go after an outlaw named Tom Cheney, played by Brolin, uh, who murdered her father. And then Matt Damon just sort of tags along. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, it's shot by Roger Deakins, which if you don't know, Roger God. Deakins fucking rules. Everything he does is gorgeous. Oof. Um, so pretty. Yeah, like... No Country for Old Men might be the thing, my favorite thing that he shot. He uses like low light so well. Uh, fun fact about Roger Deakins, if you're if you're a film nerd, I don't think he does this anymore. But he used to have a whole open forum up on his website where like film students and like young filmmakers can go in and ask questions and get advice, and he would answer them back. That's cool. Uh, I believe he has a podcast. I d- I discovered this recently. He has a podcast now. Uh, because of course he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like he, his is actually like probably good and with helpful advice. And it seems like he has a lot of cool guests on there. So I might dig into that, but, but the remake isn't, it doesn't stray too much from the original. I think there's more defined character work. The pacing's a little bit better. Um, the ending's way different because you see Maddie in the, in the, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just it's just a good, solid Western. Um, if you're not familiar with the Coen's work, this is it's just solid. I don't know, man. It was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's a it's a good, solid movie. But really, I, I wanted to recommend at least something. Um, 
But I, I, I'm trying to think, is there anything I missed in that genre, in, you know, within that trope? I don't want to say genre of film, but like, you know, here's, a, here's an old man and a young girl. Because that's usually the dynamic. Because it goes into like, again, like I said, Lone Wolf and Cub Territory. Uh, you have Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks hanging out, with, doing, doing robberies with his kid while they're on the run. Uh, Terminator 2 is kind of that story. Yeah. John Connor. Um, I would say the latest, like, God of War is a little, little of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a father and son road trip. I mean, you just sent me that pick of Piccolo and Gohan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Piccolo and Gohan. It's interesting to me that this trope is usually an older man and a younger woman within mm-hmm. that dynamic. And I was thinking about it this week that the big appeal of it, I think, is sort of the big appeal of it, I think, is because of traditional gender roles that we that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, we don't think of a male character, especially some sort of male professional. Like in, in all the examples we've given, there's like assassins, you know, soldiers, detectives, that, that sort of lawmen. These are the types of male characters that we have that typically aren't associated with nurturing. And now they're put in a situation where, okay, we have to protect this young woman. And there's a, there, there's a, there's a perceived gender dynamic. Yeah. Where, you know, oh. a, a, a male, an older male figure is not going to treat a, 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 a female, a younger female the same way as like a younger male. They're not going to call him boy every Yeah. Time. There's, there's very much a, the perceived like child children are innocent or they're perceived as innocent and little girls are especially so just because I think they're like kind of, as you're saying, there's a, a very cultural sort of little girls or, you know, female presenting people are considered to be more pure than a, a masculine character. And then having the, the sort of father figure be, the father figure is supposed to be the protector, generally speaking. So they're very much per- playing up those perceived kind of cultural roles or, or ideas to a to the nth degree. It is the old, grizzled, protective father protecting the extremely innocent little girl and kind of teaching them how to protect themselves from the the harsh reality of the world. So they're trying to preserve that innocence to a degree, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And I want to like make it clear that like when we talk about these things, like these are perceptions and these are cultural things that very much so are in Like they're ingrained um, because it's, it's hard pressed to see this swapped, right? Because Mm -hmm. to have an older woman, going on, you know, some sort of journey with with a younger I, male character. I think the closest we really get is at least the one that jumps out at me is like Terminator, especially mm-hmm. Terminator 2. Um I guess aliens kind of cuz yeah, cuz aliens aliens rules. Aliens rules. When, but that, you know, that's it's a young girl and a it's a yeah. it's a older female younger yeah, but I definitely also think you could very easily swap Newt's gender in, in Aliens and it would still work just as well. That's true. 
Um, so uh, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I don't, it's, it's interesting that the dynamic, I'm not going to say works this way. I'll say that it's been enforced this way mm-hmm. so much. And I'd be interested to see it swapped. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, okay. So I'm looking at the TV tropes for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, so it's not quite the same, but they do recommend Commando. What? So it's it's more of the the sort of the Papa Wolf, like the the big badass kind of trope. But the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Commando, where he is going to rescue his his daughter, so he he just tracks down this man in a a knit tank top that's supposed to be chainmail. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's a couple of uh. Arnold Schwarzenegger movies that are kind of this trope. It's like, again, making it the older father figure and the young girl, like making it explicitly that is a little narrows it to a degree, but like, like kindergarten cop is kind of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was, um, was going to say cop and a half with Tom Selleck there. Yeah, that too. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's just, I, I want it. Yeah. I want to see it reversed. I, let, let's see what that does. All right. So we have the mama bear trope. Looking at live action films on TV tropes. Mm-hmm. That's just what the show is devolving into now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the first one. Adventures in babysitting. Oh, my God. Yes. With Elizabeth Shue. Yes. There's two different Jodie Foster movies. Are you talking about Panic Room? And Panic Room. Flight Plan. Oh, did not see Flight Plan, because who cares? <laughs> wow, they suggest Friday the 13th with Pamela Voorhees, the original. True, kind of, yeah. A little bit. Well, I yeah, mean, that's, that's, still, a, that's more of the protective mama bear side of it than the the duo, the paired up kind oh, of thing. Oh, what are we thinking? Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah, duh. Mm-hmm, there we, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what my conclusion is on this, but before, like, I, I don't want, again, I don't want to devolve into let's, what can we list? Mm-hmm. But narratively speaking, an older character who either culturally or through revel, you know, through what were revealed about the character to us, who is older, tougher, not a parent, combining them with a child or a younger person is always mm-hmm. going to be. It's a dynamic that clearly works, you know, no matter what, no matter how it's gendered is, I guess, my closing art statement. Yeah. But thank you all for hanging out with us and listening. Uh, if you want to talk to us, you can do so by writing to us at thinking too hard pod at gmail.com. You can also talk to us on Twitter at thinking anime. Uh, you can find me on the Internet, uh, usually on Twitter at Aaron J. Shelton. You can also find me on my other anime podcast. Uh, I have a problem. It, it, the title of the show is Kame House Party that I host with Vince White. It is an improv comedy podcast where we're going through the entirety of Dragon Ball episode by episode. Um, and since it is the holiday season, um, I will say that the first feature film I edited, Feast of the Seven Fishes, 
is available for free on Prime and Tubi. You know we got to talk about Tubi at some point in the episode. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. You got on Tubi? <laughs> uh-huh. So I ain't going to see any more money, but I'm happy that more people will be able to watch this. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Christmas movie set in the 80s. It, it's not sappy. It's not Hallmark in, in any way. Um, if you watch it, you, you're going to miss going to bars for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very nice, cozy movie. Uh, and please check that out if you haven't. And let me know if you liked it. Uh, I have seen it. I, I own it on Amazon. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, thank you. I also especially liked your little cameo. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm in it. Yeah, that's that's correct. I'm in two scenes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's where you can find me both online and on the silver screen. Uh, <laughs> Noah, where can the good people find you? If people can find out which character is you, let us know. <laughs> um, so you can find me online on Twitter. I'm at Kamen Otaku. That's K-A-M-E-N-O-T-A-K-U. Um, I'm also on a bunch of role-playing, actual play podcasts. So if you want to hear me uh, occasionally, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a podcast ronin when it comes to that stuff. Uh, but if you want to hear me occasionally in other places, you can check out the role-playing exchange, uh, the technical difficulties gaming podcast and, uh, role-playing public radio. Um, I also appear on the best power brigade Twitch stream occasionally, um, typically on Saturdays when we have a game going. So check that out. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. And we will be back in two weeks with Session 22, Cowboy Funk. Oh, boy. I am looking forward to this one. It's Yeah, we'll, we'll have more to say about this, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for listening. And I am Aaron J. Shelton. I'm Noah Carden. And we've been thinking too hard. 